Well, I'm going to talk about this morning the triumphant entry, as it's called. Adam mentioned it, and it did occur on Sunday of Passion Week. We're at that time. Today is Palm Sunday. It's one of the events that is covered in all four of the Gospels. So when the Bible covers it in all four Gospels, it's pretty significant. So I wanted to share some of the things from this message with you this morning about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And it, it becomes a public demonstration as he enters. And keep in mind that uh, Jesus normally uh, moved quietly at times and sometimes did prefer to not have a significant presence, if you will, obscurity many times, telling those uh, that he healed, in fact, to tell no man from Matthew 8, verse 4. But however, we see that in his entry to Jerusalem, uh, he creates a huge crusade. So our text this morning is going to be from Matthew 21, verse 1 through 11. And if you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn to that now. And during Passover time, uh, Jerusalem was indeed crowded with visitors. Some of the scholars have said there were up to even two and a half million people in Jerusalem. Now that's hard to imagine, but within that 20-mile radius, all the Jewish population was required, obligated to come to Jerusalem during the Passover event, as well as many other visitors came from the surrounding area. And Passover, as you may recall, is the celebration. It was 1,500 years earlier at this time of the exodus from Egypt. And uh, they were there to commemorate, uh, commemorate uh, the Passover. And uh, when Jesus, of course, uh, uh, visited, you know, that celebration as well of the people leaving Egypt to the promised land. So the first thing we want to look at in verses 1 through 5 is the fact that God does not break his promises. And Matthew's account, amen, Matthew's account of this triumphant entry begins with Jesus sending two disciples, we see in verse 1, when they had approached Jerusalem, had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples. Now we'll see a map. of the area, and you can see where Jericho is there. You see Samaria just under that. that you'll see uh, Jericho just west of the Jordan River there, and then south of that you see Bethphage, and then just a little over to the east, southeast, I think that would be, you see Bethany, which does come into the story a little bit, and then, of course, Jerusalem just to the west of those locations. So that'll give you an idea of the geography here. That distance from Jericho to Bethphage was probably about uh, 17 miles. And uh, it seems uh, clear that um, the Lord had arranged to ride this young donkey into Jerusalem as a fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, in verse 4 and 5, we read, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, bring your king. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. 
So clearly Jesus here is fulfilling the prophecy from Zechariah 9, verse 9, foretelling of the coming of Israel's king in a humble manner, riding on a colt, again, the foal of a donkey. And so the colt becomes a, a symbol for humility and peace. And Jesus is not only proclaiming that he is the Messiah with the fulfilling of Scripture, but also demonstrating that he did not come to conquer by imposing his will over the nation. And so the other note here is that the Messiah is referred to by the term king. In such a lowly entrance, it wasn't a normal way for a king to enter a city. Rulers usually came as conquerors, riding on a stallion. But here we see that Jesus entered on this lowly beast of burden, according to the scripture, not on a horse as a symbol of power, but on a colt of a donkey as a symbol of humility. I want, to keep, I want you to keep in mind Revelation 19, verse 11. The next time Jesus comes, he's not going to be on a donkey. In the imagery of that verse, the Messiah appears again as a conqueror coming down on a white horse. Then I saw heaven opened up, opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And then in verse 6 through 8, we see that he came to bring peace. <clears throat> Verses 6 and 7, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And then verse 8, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. Uh, now we know those branches, Matthew doesn't describe them as palm branches here, but they indeed from another gospel, we know they were in fact palm branches. Palm branches. And notice here that the disciples did just as Jesus had instructed them to do. And that's what all disciples need to do, isn't it? They went, they got the animals, they threw their garments on them to make the saddles. And when Jesus mounted up on that colt, the disciples in the crowd then began their approach to Jerusalem as this processional or the triumphant entry. So we see Jesus on that colt, entering Jerusalem. You see the palm branches on the ground, also raising them in the air, as well as the, uh, their cloaks, putting them in front of the donkey, a donkey as they made their progress here toward Jerusalem. There were not, not any significant carpets as the kings might have on the road which Jesus was going to ride on. Uh, so the crowd spread their cloaks in the palm branches in front of him on the road. And so this spreading of these palm branches five days before Good Friday and then seven days before the resurrection, that's where the celebration of Palm Sunday comes from. So I started to look at uh, celebrations, so and celebrations that I may have been in, where maybe as a, as a crowd, maybe did you get a little carried away? 
And uh, I had to scratch my head a little bit, but I did come up with one example to share with you. I'm from Chicago, and it has to do with the Chicago Cubs. I was at a game with my brother-in-law, and this was kind of the second game of the season, and it was a pretty cold day in April, as Chicago can be. It, it was a damp breeze off Lake Michigan there. Nothing too exciting going on except about the seventh inning. We see this guy's pitching a no-hitter so far. <clears throat> Bert Hooten is his name. This is back in the 70s. So in those days, uh, the crowd control wasn't necessarily what it was today. So sure enough, he does pitch a no-hitter. And this is out of the 305 no-hitters that have been pitched in Major League Baseball. And what did we do? We ran out on the field. <laughs> so why I did that, I don't know. <laughs> but um, you couldn't do that today, obviously. But uh, we did, and I, I, I had to think about this a little bit because it's a long time ago, but I did verify it with my brother-in-law, and he said, oh, yeah, we did run out on the field there. <laughs> so um, just an example to keep in mind. Maybe you have your own example of what can, things can happen in a in a crowd. <clears throat> but most of the people, Jesus was outside of Jerusalem at this point. Most of the people were from Galilee at this point. They were familiar uh, with uh, uh, Jesus and familiar with the many miracles that he had done, that he had performed in Galilee. And so um, as they spread their branches and uh, on the road and so on, that was often done in these triumphal entries, but it was becoming an acknowledgement of Jesus' kingship and uh, many anticipating that he was coming to set up his reign in Israel's capital of Jerusalem. Uh, we need to keep in mind, though, that with the treatment of Jesus that happens later in the week, it seems most of this crowd's real hope was maybe simply to cash in, if you will, on Jesus's things that he was doing, maybe feeding many, maybe healing uh, that, uh, you know, brought them to him, uh, maybe other things that uh, were benefiting them, if you will. So maybe thinking of Jesus as more of a good luck charm. And so if you are thinking that way, I hope you're not, but if you just expect him to help you financially, physically, socially, maybe vocationally, you're going to be disappointed when things don't go your way. Things don't go as you thought they would. And we need to realize that Jesus Christ came to die for our sin, to pay the price for our inequity. If he doesn't do anything else in your life, his forgiveness needs to be more than enough to merit our loyalty, doesn't it? Our affection and our eternal devotion. His forgiveness of our sin alone. And so for three years, Jesus has been going about uh, Judea and Galilee, healing the sick, feeding the hungry, even raising the dead. And now he rides into Jerusalem on this colt, receiving the acclaim of the crowd, but those who shout Hosanna are accepting him for what they think he will give them, not for who 
he is and what he really came to do. They want an earthly Messiah who will provide for their material welfare, not a suffering Messiah whose death on the cross will expose their sin, provide forgiveness, and ask and call for a life commitment. So Jesus didn't promise release from all the suffering in the world, but he did offer peace and forgiveness, eternal life, and a cross. Anything less than taking up cross, that cross in serving him, becomes shallow, becomes a shallow allegiance. So the next thing we see in our passage this morning is Uh, Jesus deserves our praise in verses 9 through 11. Verse 9 indicates the openness of the crowd uh, was led by Jesus' disciples. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. As the people walked along, some before and some behind, this gives the impression here, further impression, to the picture now of this royal procession. They shouted to Jesus and each other, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna is from a Hebrew word meaning save, deliver us, we pray. From Psalm 118, verse 25, it was an acknowledgement of power as well as a petition. It was a prayer for deliverance, although their thinking was probably deliverance from the Romans instead of from slavery to, or uh, from uh, to sin, I should say. So notice here is uh, Jesus is also called the son of David, identifying him in the royal line and recognizing him as the Messiah who was to reign on the eternal uh, throne forever and ever. Hosanna in the highest references the one whom angels on high acknowledge or call upon. They're asking that heaven joins them in praising God for sending Jesus. All these designations reference that Jesus is Yahweh's representative, his Messiah or Christ. And verse 10 indicates the suspenseful atmosphere and the expectation then that this processional caused throughout Jerusalem. And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And so now you begin to notice as he gets closer to Jerusalem, that crowd may be changing some. There may be more religious leaders. There may be more officials, if you will. And the whole city became pretty excited uh, and kind of a little bit uh, wild here maybe. Uh, because we know that the Greek word here of moved or stirred is uh, seio, S-E-I-O, from which we get our word seismic. And it's rendered quake in Matthew 27, verse 51, or shaken in Revelation 6, verse uh, 13. Kind of connotations of an earthquake. So in other words, the whole city was quaking, not physically, but mentally and emotionally, uh, when Jesus did make his entry. Uh, They shook the city. He shook the city mentally and morally, as an earthquake might shake a city physically. 
So the entire city was moved, and they asked, who is this? Uh, Since Jesus had usually avoided the city, they didn't know him that well. And this was kind of a delicate moment here. The city was building to its great celebration of the Passover, and we see the extent of Jesus' influence indeed certainly spreading. So maybe that becomes a concern of these officials, if you will, and some of the leaders there. Because in verse 11, we see, we get a popular opinion here now of that time, that moment. And how did the crowd respond? Who is this? This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And notice now, when asked who this person was riding into Jerusalem with such uh, acclamation and causing this major uproar, the crowd didn't answer with the son of David, did they? But said the prophet. Made a point also to say he's from Nazareth in Galilee, which was a small, insignificant town at the time. And sadly, the excitement of the crowd in the end was not matched by a faithful commitment to Jesus, was it? Their confession that Jesus was a prophet wasn't enough to move them to true belief that comes from repentance. So now as we prepare, what does this mean to us? As we prepare for the upcoming uh, Passion Week, and by the way, I hope you'll pick up a renewal guide out in the foyer if you don't have one already uh, to prepare. It's a five-day study uh, of renewal and preparing for a Good Friday coming up. I'd like us to think about, though, now three areas of Jesus' life and how consistent they are with the message that we just went over in Matthew. And as I studied this, I was struck by these three areas. I'd like us to think about these to begin to answer that question at the beginning of the message, what does the first Palm Sunday really mean to me? And as we reflect on the text today about Jesus' entry to Jerusalem, uh, there's also a perspective here from Jesus, I think, is worth sharing with you. And what he must have been going through at the time, uh, and as we know it from Scripture. So the first point on that is, Jesus knew that he was God in the flesh, sent from heaven to make a final once-for-all atonement for sin. From Luke 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The second point here about Jesus is that he knew that his time on this earth was nearing an end. As he entered, he knew this. And we see that in Mark 14, verse 6 and 7, For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. The third point, we see that Jesus knew that he would be betrayed, falsely accused, and that he would indeed be crucified. From Matthew 20, verse 18, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And the fourth point, Jesus knew that the wages of sin were death. And the 
and that only through his death could salvation and life be brought to his creation. From John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus, of course, knew all these things. And we want to look at Luke because Luke does record for us this emotional impact on Jesus as he drew near to Jerusalem. You see how close those uh, cities were that he's visiting, and he could see Jerusalem probably as he traveled here. And so in verse uh, 41, we see, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. And then in verse 42, he told the religious leaders that the day was a significant time for the nation. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. So on that first Palm Sunday, you might have expected Jesus to enter Jerusalem on that mighty stallion, but he chose instead a lowly donkey. Before he could come to king, before he could come as a king to reign, he had to come as a savior to die. Throughout his life on earth, Jesus was a man of contrast, striking, striking contrast, reflecting both his genuine humility and his full deity. We also see Jesus' humbleness here. It's no different uh, in his triumphant entry. Normally, the conquering king uh, parades triumphantly in this city, as I mentioned, with all the glory and the power. But there's something different here about Jesus' triumphant entry, isn't there? The king was clothed plainly, not in royal robes or in, a full, or in full military splendor. He rode this unpretentious young donkey, not a dashing war horse. He was meek not militaristic. His entry sent these mixed signals and all Jerusalem was perplexed about his true identity. His entry combined his power and glory with his humility. And throughout his ministry, his teaching and example exalted humility and downplayed pride. Triumphal entry does reflect the different values of the kingdom that Jesus had, and he shifted the world's paradigm of greatness, didn't he? Showing greatness to be found in humble service, not an arrogant rule as such. Jesus, the sovereign Lord of the universe, became a man to provide for our redemption. But one day, he will return as King of Kings. Amen? Amen. Amen. And then finally, compassion. We can wonder how many of those who enthusiastically cried Hosanna on Palm Sunday were shouting later, crucify him, crucify him. A few days on Friday. Some people must have been disappointed, even resentful, that Christ didn't overthrow the Romans and set up uh, to set up an earthly kingdom. 
In contrast to his earlier actions, we see no indication that he tried to dampen this jubilant demonstration. He didn't capitalize on the fervor of the crowd and issue a call to arms. Messiah didn't fulfill their expectations. Jesus knew he would be rejected indeed by many. And yet he still wept for Jerusalem. He had compassion throughout his ministry. <clears throat> so now, in uh, preparing for the message, I did come across a quote that I'd like to share with you, a message from Charles Spurgeon on compassion many years ago, uh, but still apropos, if you will. Then while he tarried in the world, a man among, quote, I should say, then while he tarried in the world, a man among men, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was constantly moved with compassion, for he felt all the griefs of mankind himself. He took our sickness and carried our sorrows. He proved himself a true brother with quick human sensibilities. A tear brought a tear into his eye. A cry made him pause to ask what help he could render. So generous was his soul that he gave all he had for the help of those that had not. The fox had its hole and the bird its nest, but he had no dwelling place. Stripped even of his garments, he hung upon the cross to die. Never one so indigent in death as he, without a friend, without even a tomb, except such as alone could find him. He gave up all the comforts of life. He gave his life itself. He gave his very self to prove that he was moved with compassion. Most of all, do we see how he was moved with compassion in his terrible death? Often, oft again have I told this story, yet these lips shall be dumb ere they cease to reiterate the old, old tidings. Unquote from Charles Spurgeon. Finally, I, I want us to think about grace, the grace that Jesus had as he, as with his entry to Jerusalem and really throughout his ministry. Uh, this triumphant entry strikes me as a clear expression of God's grace indeed to us. Uh, Jesus riding on a colt into Jerusalem, everyone stirred up, quaking, if you will, about the prophet coming, laying down palm branches, shouting Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus was the promised king who had come, yet the whole time Jesus knew what was coming his way in the next week. He knew it. Yet the whole time he accepted their praise. He accepted their praise, knowing full well that the crowd would turn on him within days. Doesn't Jesus show us that same grace when we acknowledge him? Every time we choose to follow him, every time we praise him, he knows that like the palm-waving crowd, at the same time, we can and sometimes do turn away from him and not stand for him 
and choose our own way or maybe praise ourselves or even ignore him. Yet, he accepts us for who we are. Grace. Grace like no other. Amen. So his arrival teaches us, arrival in Jerusalem, that God doesn't break a promise. Uh, Jesus came to peace, came for peace in our hearts, in our minds, and that Jesus does indeed deserve our full praise. And we see the consistency of his ministry throughout his life and his entry into Jerusalem. His humility, his compassion, and his grace. So let me ask the question, what does his triumphant entry to Jerusalem mean to you today? And I have another question for you today. Have you allowed Jesus to make a triumphant entry into your heart? Maybe today you realize you really don't know him as King and Lord and Savior. Maybe you've been attending worship services for a while now and you've heard how to be truly saved and you've been putting it off. You can make today the day you make a decision to follow Christ with all your heart because Jesus paid the price for you to be in that good standing with God, that right standing with God. I'll close with this promise from Philippians 2, verses 8 through 11. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Philippians 2, verse 8. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this morning. And most of all, we thank you for sending us your Son, Jesus Christ, who did indeed live a humble life, Lord. So humble, Lord, yet so compassionate in showing us true grace, Lord. We thank you for who he is, Lord, and the difference he makes for those who believe in him in their lives, Lord. And so I pray this morning, if, those are those, if there are those who don't know you in a personal way, Lord, that they would come to realize that Christ is the way, is the truth, and the life to you, God. Only through him can we have that salvation, Lord. And so I pray, pray for those, Lord. We thank you again for this morning, Lord. We pray for those missionaries, Lord, out in the field, internationally, and in this country, Lord. As we think about Upcoming Good Friday, Lord, we pray that you would just help us this week to remember the true price that Christ paid for us on that cross. It's in your wonderful and precious name we pray. Amen.